Aloha Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Verkart. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. This is episode 140. That's 140J. Calling in live from Las Vegas. This is CES 2020. Been wanting to attend this for a long time and uh, have the opportunity to this last week. Absolutely. And I'm a little jealous because I'm not there. <laughs> this, is, this is going to be one, a little different show just because of that. Absolutely. So the reason we're here, uh, outside of just wanting to be here, frankly, is that we kind of have this idea that there's crossover technology coming in from various industries into the renewable energy space. uh, And things that are relevant to renewable energies and the new energy economy are going to be popping up more and more throughout other sectors. And where better to kind of get a scan of this and get a sense of what's out there but the largest consumer electronics show in the world, that is correct, it's the largest show in the world, about 177,000 uh, attendees, 4,500 exhibitors. There's, I, I, I still haven't even been able to get a full count on all the convention centers and hotels that are included in this. It's all over Vegas. It took over the entire town. It is, uh, it is really great to be here. I'm having an amazing time. <laughs> Again, super jealous, but you're right. We, we've been talking about this probably over the past, I mean, we really keeping them aware like two years ago, how there this was cross-pollination from renewable energies into other sectors and then from other sectors into the renewable energy space. And it's something that a lot of people don't see quite yet. You're saying that people there still don't quite get it, but... I, I think not a thing exists in isolation. And so they're all going to be really interoperable very, very shortly. Yeah, I mean, I have noticed some of the media groups that we we cite in the show, Jay, like Electrek, for example, mm-hmm. some others that are out here doing interviews and, and getting engaged with some of the similar types of booths that are in this space, in the energy space. But, you know, there's a certain kind of um, a conversation about energy. And uh, we've been able to identify probably about a dozen or so really exciting themes here, you know, uh, resilience, uh, sustainability, uh, there's agriculture, there is certainly a straight, a lot of uh, vehicle and autonomous vehicle discussions, which of course is electric, there's air mobility, uh, and it's moving towards uh, more and more straight electric over over, over hybrids. So anytime you have this electrification of, of all of these systems, you know renewable energy is going to play a, a role in that, and energy and information kind of go hand in hand. So it's been really fascinating exploring kind of the the, the boundaries of this conversation, and I've had a, had a good time getting to know some uh, some really cool companies. Yeah, are are there any boundaries? <laughs> Uh, right. No. That, that, and, and it, you know, it takes a show like this to really kind of spark new ideas, too. There's uh, things that were not on my radar that are now popping up for sure. I mean, some of these groups, you know, from from EV, bi-directional EV chargers, I kind of thought that, that that would show up in a renewable energy space, but it's here at CES. And, you know, when I saw that, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is happening right now. And it is. To get a CHAdeMO uh, bi-directional EV charger, really cool. Uh, we're going to hear more about that in the future upcoming weeks. But, I mean, you can get 7.2 kilowatts out of your Nissan LEAF. And I, you know, I, I have a theory, Jay, that that may be one of the cheapest ways. Once that comes to market, which is right around this year, uh, that could be one of the cheapest ways to get an energy storage system for your home because you can get a secondary market Nissan Leaf for about six, seven Gs on Craigslist right now with 30 kilowatts of uh, 30 kilowatt hours of battery storage. So that is something that I was sitting there going, "Whoa, this is unbelievable." Yeah, all those EV batteries just dwarf what you can buy to put in the house as an appliance. Right. No, super cool stuff. So, hey, we're going to get into two of the most, uh, I would just say, fun, eye candy filled, exciting, uh, futuristic (laughs) uh, shows that we recorded, two of about a dozen or so uh, on this show. Let's jump right into our housekeeping and get to it. What do you say, Jay? Done and done. Let's go. All right. Hey, folks, this is The Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy themed talk show right here in lovely Maui County, also in Vegas this week. We can be found on Fridays at 105 p.m. on Oi 1110 a.m. Also, FM stations 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry www.solar-coaster.com is where you can listen live see all streaming links to all the videos you've been sending me from from ces <laughs> go check those out anything to do with renewable energies electrification of transportation if you're interested in all of these things energy storage chances are we talked about it there's videos and audio all over the site go to the podcast link uh, most importantly get on the mailing list and let us know you're out there 
Got some great podcasts, Jay. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Wonderful sponsors that have kept the Solar Coaster on air for uh, darn near three years coming up in this spring, by the way, Jay. Mm -hmm. uh, Fairwinds Wealth Management, EnduroShield, and Sundrum Solar. I would like to thank those guys for their support. Great companies doing really cool things out here in the space. Let's jump over to our news and events, which will be CES dominated. So let's talk about CES a little bit. Uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're out here. There's a tremendous amount of people. A lot of these uh, themes are crossing over into a renewable energy space. Um, you know, one of the things that I found, uh, I, one of the things that just clearly was most exciting was the Daimler uh, and Avatar partnership. So James Cameron, the director of Avatar, partnered up with uh, Daimler and it basically created this super concept vehicle, which is uh, supposedly like 100 plus years in the future. I mean, it was really, uh, it's almost like a universal ride, Jay. The, 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 what we saw here. I mean, it, it came. I actually missed the initial stream. I watched. I, I wasn't able to get to the uh, the convention where they were doing it, and then I watched it uh, on the stream on the app on the CES app, which has been very helpful uh, throughout the week. And then, of course, first thing I went after as soon as the exhibit floor opened on Tuesday, I guess, was to go check out this amazing concept vehicle. I was able to get inside of it. Uh, they had a couple of pods replicating exactly what that model was like. And I mean, this is something where they're talking about the merging of man and machine in a way that really hasn't been done yet. If, you, if you've seen Avatar and who hasn't I mean, pretty much that, you know, that's one of the most popular movies in the last decade. Uh, there's this notion of integration of, of, of the creatures in that movie. And this, they're following that kind of pattern is this, the EV is, you know, straight eye candy. I mean, LEDs everywhere pulsating. There are these kind of, um, uh, vents in the back, uh, back scoop of the, the, the back of the, the vehicle that, that kind of look like a lizard's, uh, gills or something. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but there's a lot of biomimicry going on. And mm -hmm. then, then as you get into the vehicle, it starts to work with you. It senses your heart rate and it, 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 you're able to control things with hand gestures. And, and once again, it felt like a universal ride. I, I, I was like, I was so excited. I can't even tell you. Yes, I've seen the pictures and the video that you sent. They, I mean, it, it's very clearly sci-fi. And one of the things about that is that I really want to see all of those lights and things have a purpose, right? There's a lot of, of sci-fi out there and they put LEDs all over everything, but it doesn't actually mean anything to you. So what you're saying is that all of these things actually do give you feedback about the vehicle's status, your own status. <laughs> All yeah. these, yeah. In, in, in a way that I'd never experienced before. And I think this is kind of a, you, you've hit upon a really important and key part of this conversation. So how can these vehicles be additive rather than just kind of, I, you know, just some glorified uh, display and how can they create more value in our lives rather than distract us? So I think we're learning from the the way that uh, phones in, uh, in, came into our lives and they've they've just if they maybe pulled us and there's been some negative uh, consequences of being distracted a lot of the time. But this is talking about how to utilize that lesson and then as you engage with this vehicle. It starts to uh, looks at you. It says, "What is your state of being? What's your heart rate? What's your body temperature?" And then, as you sit down, it gives you bio, gives you feedback, as, similar to like a video game. It's got a haptic, um, you know, uh, you can actually feel movements around the vehicle. But as you sit down, the first thing it does to give you a sense. It, it, it registers your heart rate, and then it replicates that in the car. So if you're, you, and you can sense it. I mean, you feel it for real, right? Mm -hmm. And then you, and then you put your, 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 there are these different, not a lot of controls, not a lot. Lots of dials and buttons and things like that. Just this really big display where you would have all controls in a car. And then as you touch these, uh, this one kind of, uh, it's almost like a, a mouse or something. It's like a, and, and it, it lights up. It indicates that you're interacting with it. And then it kind of encourages you to give direction to the machine. And the machine fills in the gaps and what it needs to do to accomplish that goal. I mean, I, that was what my takeaway was. Neat stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Getting close to you thinking, well, this could be real someday. This is really uh, amazing. Uh, yeah, really inspiring. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the video, we'll talk more. Why don't we run it? So I'm here with, what's your name, sir? Uh, Zane Amaralis. Nice to meet you, Zane. I'm Josh Porter. Hi, Josh. All right, so we're here in this amazing vehicle. Uh, it looks like 100 years in the future. Mercedes and Avatar collaboration. 
I caught the live stream last night. I have to admit, I didn't make it to the, uh, the showing. I'm sitting in this module right now. I, I didn't expect I'd be this fortunate. So tell me, Zane, tell me about this amazing technology. Hi, Josh. Yeah, well, what do we have here? This is the interior of the Vision AVTR. And you're right, this, is, this Vision is actually based 100 years into the future. And the most apparent difference right away that the user experience has totally changed. We no longer see traditional kind of screens, controls. Everything has just merged into the interior, seamlessly becoming one. Another thing that we're missing is pedals and steering wheels. Also, those have disappeared. And instead, they've been replaced by the central elements, which we have right here, called the merge control. And you can see right now, it's breathing. It's moving up and down vertically. It knows that we're here, and it's just excited to get started. And that's what we're going to do right now. So if you take your right hand and just place that on top, so now you feel this pulse of energy going throughout the entire car as it wakes up. And now that moment was this human-machine merge. So now the car has become an extension of yourself. You can feel it's read your heartbeat. And now you can feel this kind of pulsating in the seat. You can feel it's in your hand. And now what you can do is, to get the journey going, you can press forwards because this is now your drive control. But it's not an ordinary drive control. It's a drive control which is there for autonomous driving. So you can now actually take your hand away and the car will take care of itself. And you can imagine this being, you're sitting in this car, you're doing other things, and then if you'd like to speed up, slow down, change lanes, whatever, you can just use this as a slight override to go ahead and give it an additional nudge. So you're just uh, encouraging the direction, kind of giving it a sense of, because you said it was a merge, so you already kind of are part of this, this machine and you're kind of just indicating where it is you'd like to go or what you'd like to accomplish. And it reads more of what of you. Yes, exactly, exactly right. But at the same time, it's extending your senses. So we can see this uh, environment right here around us. And you could imagine that being where we are right now as we're driving our car around. And it's augmenting the world around us. First of all, allowing us to see further than we would normally be able to do, almost looking over the horizon but at the same time bringing in these augmentations. For instance, it's showing us the flow of wind around us, showing energy moving throughout the environment, just kind of like opening our eyes to what's around us right now. So removing the limitations of your interaction with the environment in a traditional vehicle. Exactly right, exactly right. But we can also, of course, invoke other content. So if you sit slightly more to the left, we're gonna try something out. You can now raise your right hand, right? And now you'll see three icons next to each other on your hand. So the menu interface has now just appeared on demand within your hand. So you could be sitting anywhere in the vehicle and then it would appear right there. And then what you can do is you can close and open your hand and then new icons will appear again. And there you go. Now you've selected one of the entertainment features and now we're looking at points of interest up close. So here we are at the Zhangjiajie Jie Mountains, which were also an inspiration for the first Avatar movie for the floating uh, mountains and that. And you can imagine you're in a new area, you want to understand more of the environment. Then you could pull that up and just go look at things up close in more detail. So you, as opposed to being on your phone and, and you're in a new city and you're clicking around on like a map or on a TripAdvisor or something, now you're able to just engage the entire car. Exactly. This dive is... deep into that's just remarkable. Yeah. And I really feel it too. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, the, the way there's haptic uh, feedback here in the seat and the, the armrest, and of course you have the visuals yeah. uh, on your hands that appear automatically. There's definitely an integration, a feeling of integration with the machine, which is pretty new. Yeah. The only Thank thing you. comparable might, might be some of the rides in, in the theme parks or maybe something that is like uh, on some of the more sophisticated uh, gaming inter technologies. Mm -hmm. Nothing like that out there outside. Yeah. And as Mercedes, of course, was selling you this car, it's already this complete, amazing uh, audio system in there, amazing visuals in there. We already have this perfect space. So why not go ahead and use that for more entertainment? Excellent. Let me ask you a question about the events. Uh, please don't sit in the back, sorry. Uh, for our listeners at home, there are these uh, really small, wonderful backseat, two plus please two. Get out. 9-11 looking seats that everyone is excited about but, mm -hmm. but have trouble fitting in. So Sorry. can you tell me about the haptic, I'm uh, not the haptic, the, the actual vents that were in the back on the model? Ah uh, oh, yes, that's a good question. So those are these kind of bionic flaps and as our inspiration comes from Avatar we were also looking at more kind of anamorphic ways to let the car communicate and express itself. 
So it has a functional um, aspect to it, which is that it's like changing the airstream as the car is driving around. It's also um, communicating, so you can see that when the car is changing direction, you can see these physical flaps um, then also turning, so it almost becomes a replacement for your traditional indicator. And on top of that, it also just gives the car a level of emotion. So when you're approaching it, these, these flaps in the back, they're just kind of fluttering ever so slightly, showing you that the car is alive. I saw clear cues from the, the movie, the flaps, uh, yeah. with some of the characters, right? Yeah. Soaring? <laughs> People are trying to get in the back there. Very good. Well, it's a remarkable uh, piece of kit here. Never quite seen anything like it. Are there any other uh, special technical innovations we should be aware of? Um, for us, this car is really about extending your senses. So playing different um, types of senses that we have as a human being and then when we look at more traditional spaces or interfaces, it's, there's a very large low, load on the visual cue. So in this way, we're kind of spreading it out. We're making sure not everything needs to be done with your eyes. You can do that. You can read books. You can be looking at your family or whoever else is in the car. And instead, being made aware of things that are around you that are of interest to you, just purely through this kind of like haptic vibration uh, here in the seats. A difference between the interior that we're sitting in right now and the show car is that in the show car you also have these flows of energy which are visual within the car. There's kind of like neural network which connects the interior with the exterior. So when information is coming in from the outside or we're directing energy to other parts of the car because we're turning, that is also ambiently then communicated throughout the vehicle. Wow, there's so much going on here. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to explain this to us. I'll tell you, just from an energy show's perspective, when we think about 100 years in the future of how we might in, in, interact with a, how our vehicles might change completely, I tend to think in terms of energy. So what is it we think is powering this? Is it hydrogen? Is it, uh, is it, is it renewable energy, a fuel, uh, a, a battery? Is it a small modular reactor? Mm -hmm. What's going on You know, in, your, yeah. in our imaginations? I guess it's anyone's guess, right? Well, we actually brought our battery experts along from uh, Germany who is the head of battery R&D uh, over at Mercedes-Benz. And what he spoke about yesterday is, and I'm not the expert on this, is this very advanced kind of battery technology, which is using uh, single layers of graphite and then combined with organic materials to then create this battery, which is highly energy efficient and also in storage, but at the same time, can then be composted at the end of its life cycle. I saw that in the live stream and I got very excited about that. So yeah. we said reduce, reuse, recycle, but we also talked about full circularity and full recycling capability of, of storage, which is huge right now. Moving away from cobalt, manganese, nickel, all of these kinds exactly. of heavy metals that are have a supply chain problem and then an end of life problem. Very exciting, Zane, thank you so much. I'd like Cheers. to hang out here for the rest of the show. <laughs> Thanks, but I know there's more people that want to get in. Aloha guys, take care, thank you for the so that's really fascinating. Mercedes-Benz dropped out of the home storage market, but apparently they still have a battery group and they're working on some really futuristic graphene organic battery. That's cool. I got to tell you, Jay, you know, that whole uh, that whole aspect kind of escaped me. Of course, Mercedes-Benz Energy Americas was in the residential storage market for a while or really not ever. They were launching to it. And a good friend of ours, Boris von Bormann, who happens to be in the next interview was the CEO of Mercedes-Benz Energy America. And, you know, it's interesting because not only did Mercedes move towards the, the vehicular space, so did, uh, so did Boris. So that's where everything seems to be going. It might have been kind of prescient there looking at the future. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this vehicle was off the charts. I've never experienced anything like it. You know, towards the tail end of that discussion, we did get a little bit into the specs. I, I tried not to push the spec conversation. It was hard, by the way, Jay, while I'm here, to not have more uh, direct spec conversations with these people right because they're like hey man this is a concept vehicle don't get it. i don't know how big the battery is i don't know yeah, you, you know can't, but you can never buy one of these <laughs> but he did you know he did talk about you know when you think uh even let alone 100 years in the future who knows but even five ten years in the future when you start thinking about storage and energy uh power capabilities and how these things are going to run it's really just so far ahead it's hard to even you know get your mind into it but he did talk about circularity and about a recyclability of 
of batteries as kind of a, a core point, which I thought is great. And we're starting to hear more and more about that already today. So we don't going to have to wait 100 years in the future to recycle our batteries. That's probably coming down the road the I next. Certainly hope not. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, really cool experience. I, you know, there was something very positive uh, and very. Uh, of course, it's inspiring. Of course, it's it's meant to do that as a concept vehicle. But there was something like le- you know very legitimate about the idea of uh, of all this technology helping us uh, achieve just a better uh, life experience. Uh, you know, in, in especially in, now we're talking about mobility, moving around, getting to places, understanding the places that we're at. The, the machines could, you know, understanding us, where we're at, what we're trying to accomplish, what our health state is, what our mood is. And I mean, that's just, a, it's so out of this world. It was really a cool experience to, to be able to you get a little taste of it. Yeah. And if you think that this technology is in the vehicle, I mean, I would assume by extension that you would also have it in, in this future time period, you would have it in your home. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the one of the themes of the show certainly seems to be the ecosystem, right? And that they talk about it. You know, the Uber uh, Hyundai partnership is, you know, very interesting. They're doing an air mobility partnership, and they're talking about all the different things that need to kind of work together in these new systems to transport people, right? Yep. So it's no longer like, oh, this is a car, this is all it is. It's all related. It's all kind of like they're like big Venn diagrams in our life are all kind of, you know, creeping into one another, which is pretty wild. All right. So, Jay, why don't we jump over to our commercial break and then we'll come right back with actually we mentioned Boris. Boris and I were able to sit down with some of the fine folks at Bell with their amazing VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. Just awesome plane. We were able to get inside of that and uh, and experience and, and kind of ask, ask Bell people all the kinds of questions we wanted to get to know. Enduro Shield glass protection is the cost effective way to help protect your PV investment reduce cleaning needs, and help maximize power production. EnduroShield prevents etching, helps reduce soiling and debris buildup. At only two molecules thick, EnduroShield is optically clear, UV transparent. A one-time application provides up to 10 years of durability. To learn more about the coating, visit EnduroShield.com solar. You can request factory application or on-site by certified technicians like the team at Perfectly Clear. In Hawaii and for on-site applications in Western U.S., visit PerfectlyClear.glass or call Gary at 808-280-9422. That's 808-280-9422. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. All right, so those are our wonderful sponsors. Thanks so much to each of them for keeping the solar coaster on the tracks and helping us kind of explore all these cool things that we're learning about here at CES. I got to tell you, this next interview that we did, this is just, you know, one of a couple of dozen that we actually recorded throughout the week. But one of the more interesting ones, this is about air mobility, and it's mm-hmm. with the, uh, the the helicopter company, Bell. And Bell, had, you know, they've launched, this is not the first time that they've displayed this this amazing, um, I mean, this is a huge uh, vehicle. And if you and if you remember Avatar, interestingly enough, totally separate conversation. But those big copters they had in Avatar towards the end of the movie, where they were shooting down the tree, it, it kind of looks a lot like that. It's four massive rotors that can pivot, move around, and it kind of goes from a, a drone-like vehicle to a, to a to a you know forward thrusting, almost like a plane. It's this bizarre uh, hybrid combination technology. And everyone is just it's almost like the heart of the of the conference over here at the uh, Vegas Convention Center. Everyone's excited to see it. There's loads of lines. You know, it's almost, it looks like a, a theme park ride. Is it right? it's still a theme park ride or is it going to be a product? Yeah. So, um, you know, Bell has got a hybrid version and they have a now this year they launched an electric version and they got rid of two of the uh, rotors. So it kind of got a little more sleek. Uh, they gave us a timeline of, I think it was within the next five years, they expect to have this system, this ecosystem. This is not just a product. It's a full ecosystem up and running and performing in a, you know, uh, with pilots in the seat, okay? And then, of course, in the next decade, they're talking about having it fully autonomous. So they've got a schedule. 
They understand what they're, they're they're trying to create here. It's not something that is available for purchase or available to use right now. It is a concept vehicle, but it, it certainly got a timeline, and you know it was and it was pretty well well conceived. I mean, we they knew what they were what they were working towards. I mean, this is about if you think about these short run inner city moving in, within a city kind of uh, ranges, 60, 70 miles from the burbs to the city or moving to whatever, because of traffic, it takes a long time to get from point A to point B. And this is the kind of thing where you're going to be able to, you cut that time frame down drastically. And it was just, you know, it was amazing. So we were able to not only uh, get there and talk with them for quite some time, but we were lucky to have Boris von Bormann, the former CEO of Mercedes-Benz Energy America, former CEO of Sonin, currently uh, has a head fund for the electrification of transportation, doing really amazing things all around the world. Boris contacted me earlier in the morning. I said, hey, come on over and let's let's hook up with the Bell guys and have a conversation together. And he kindly took me up on that, even though he was going out to a flight just about a half an hour later. So uh, we sat down and they sh- they shut down the whole booth. They they brought us in. We had a chance to talk with one of their lead designers, and it was just a a, a great experience. And uh, we we were able to really learn about their vision. Okay, let's get right into it. Of our CES story uh, in 2018, Bell unveiled the Air Taxi Cabin experience. In 2019, we unveiled the Nexus uh, hydroelectric model with the six ducts. And this year, Bell is unveiling the Nexus 4EX, which is the all electric four ducted. Uh, Nexus uh, air taxi concept and so it's really just adding to the family of, of air taxis that, that we're developing uh, and so we also have the Nexus city here which is our vision for how Nexus and our uh, unmanned logistics transport vehicle the apt is going to integrate into the city of the future and we're just so thrilled to be here and 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 to have this opportunity to engage with uh, the citizens who are going to be our passengers in the future and to engage with the city leaders who are going to be uh, huge stakeholders in this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's really cool to be sitting in this uh, kind of amazing uh, vehicle. I, I, you know, Boris, have you ever been in, have you been in any, any of the VTOLs or any of the kind of new things like this yet? Yeah, I mean, at Daimler, we co-developed the Volocopter uh, in that concept. So. I'm very familiar with the air taxi concept, I and mean, urban air mobility is going to be one of the futures on how we how we get through cities. I mean, there's still some regulatory issues we have to figure out on that side. However, just I mean, I'm from LA, as you know, and and looking at Los Angeles, if you even if it's non-manned, if it you know, as you mentioned, if, if you're looking at just transportation on urban air mobility, just imagine we could eliminate all the traffic in Los Angeles, for example, from the port to an inside hub by moving goods from the harbor or from ships directly into a distribution center that's further inland to skip the metropolitan area, how much traffic and how much uh, pollution that would remove from that through unmanned air taxis, transportation methods. And so I'm very excited about the urban air mobility space and it's something I focus on. And and, uh, as you just noticed, I also became a vice chair at Commotion, which is uh, Commotion LA and Commotion Miami. Uh, big uh, place on air mobility and UAM or urban air mobility is one of our focus areas there as well. So it's, it's, it's an exciting space. Yeah, so there are so many socioeconomic impacts and opportunities that can be unlocked with urban air mobility and, and these types of technologies. And that's why we're so excited to you know be here and be a serious player in this. Uh, Bell's got 85 years of designing, manufacturing, and certifying superior vertical lift aircraft and you know really the inspiration behind UAM and, and kind of our work in it uh, is the urban landscape is changing it's growing right there are more and more people who are moving to to urban landscapes and to, to cities and that's leading to a lot of congestion that's leading to a lot of traffic when you look at it from two dimensions and so we want to move it to the vertical dimension because we see a lot of opportunity for easing some of those challenges uh, and so that's where we're positioning the nexus uh, to be able to do that. So the Nexus 4EX, what we're sitting in here, this is the all-electric model, and it's got a range of about 60 miles at 150 miles an hour max true speed. And so that's really perfect for intra-city, within one city kind of travel, uh, to alleviate challenges for the commuter, the traveler, even the family. Uh, and then, you know, we haven't forgotten about the hybrid propulsion, hybrid electric propulsion, right? Uh, there is still a place for that. There are still several missions for that for more range and a little bit more uh, you know, opportunity for going beyond 60 miles. So the the uh, six ducted hybrid electric version we showed off last year added 150 mile range at 150 miles an hour. So 
you know, we really see this as a family of vehicles, including not just Nexus, but also Apt. Uh, we want this to be scalable to meet our customers' demands. You know, um, uh, I live in Hawaii these days, of course, but uh, it, it, urban centers like Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, Tokyo, Japan, New York City, uh, I've lived in these environments, and I have family that are really accustomed to investing a tremendous amount of time on the roads. Uh, Sao Paulo is probably one of the worst, actually, because Tokyo's got a great public transit, transit system, uh, but Sao Paulo, you can be on the road for, to get from one point to another, which is only a few miles away. It can take you hours at the wrong time of day. So when I think about something like this, and, and Sao Paulo, I believe, has the highest number of registered helicopters in the world, and I think Tokyo has the highest number of helipads, although not, mo not many are in use. New York's somewhere up there in the top five. Uh, so it seems ripe for the right technology to just take over and really change the quality of life in those environments. Yeah, we really think that technology like this and how it's integrated into these cities is really gonna unlock uh, not just time, but also where people are living, where families are living, right? With ranges from you know, 60 miles with all electric to even beyond that with hybrid propulsion, you know, you could have commuters who are living farther and farther away from their jobs because uh, it's more accessible now. And so they have the, the, the platforms and the mobility options to get to work faster than ever. And so they can kind of expand their zones of where they're living. So that's what we're really excited about. Okay, I, I mean, we're, we're tech guys, right? So like, what can this thing, what will you see that, I know it's a prototype, right? But what do you see it being able to do? I mean, how far and how fast and how high? Is there anything you can tell us? What are your expectations? Yeah, absolutely. So the Nexus 4EX, it stands for, you know, four ducts, electric, and then experimental. So, uh, you know, we expect this to be in service and in a city near you between 2025 and 2030. Uh, there's still some development to go. There's still some flight testing, of course, that we need to do. Uh, and there's still, you know, regula regulations that need to be defined, and we need we want to work with uh, regula regulators and aerospace authorities around the world to really define what these policies are going to be like. Uh, you know, I, I like to think that drone technology really caught a lot of people, including governments, by surprise, and so the regulations haven't really caught up to where the technology is and, the, and where the technology is going, and not just from a regulatory standpoint, but also from a a physical infrastructure standpoint. There's going to need to be infrastructure that can house and uh, help operate these aircraft in a very efficient way. And so that's why I'm so excited to have you know, the Smart City showcase here at the Bell booth because it really sparks the conversation about, okay, how are these platforms and how is this idea of mobility as a service going to be integrated into my city? And so we're really excited to engage with civic leaders uh, here at CES and, and also beyond. Boris, what do you think? Any uh, any insights? Any ideas? Any questions? Anything to kind of spark our imaginations? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, one of the, one of the interesting things, you know, one of the key things for me, it needs to be electric, right? I mean, that's why I'm excited. Because last year, obviously, over here, funny enough, I I posted a small blip of the of the bell last year, just rotating those big rotors. I think it was my most viewed LinkedIn post last year, with like <laughs> eighty thousand views or something like Whoa. that. It was pretty crazy. But um, the uh, so it, it sparks that enthusiasm of people and you know people have flabbergasted that these things are going to fly overhead right so regulations is one of the key things obviously we got to work it needs to be electric because we don't want to add more pollution to it so it's got to be noise is obviously an issue so how do you stay in certain zones or, you know over large either over freeways or other areas where noise is maybe not that of an issue and and customer adaptance i think in the beginning there might be a little bit hesitance of people stepping into these things especially if there's not a person sitting in the front but that's going to be uh it's going to be a fun ride so i'm excited about it i mean you see when you look around at cs already even though you're competitors but hyundai is showcasing a collaboration with uber where elevators pushing into it uh texas up just happened which is a really big focus on vtol so there's a lot of happening in that in a vertical takeoff and landing space I'm excited about it. There's a lot of potential for it. It's going to be still a little bit, but you know, we're going to see these things flying over heads pretty soon, so I'm going to be excited about it. Really cool ideas. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about this vehicle before we, before we get out of it. Uh, how many seats are in here? I see it looks like a four-place, and then uh, you've got a pilot. I mean, you know, what's the basic uh, scenario? Is it uh, a family of four gets in in a suburb and heads into the city, and it takes them 30 minutes as opposed to three hours? I mean, what's the, what's the overall use case? Yeah, so we call this a four plus one configuration. That means four passengers and then one lightweight operator. Uh, you know, we want to build uh, these aircraft and these platforms to be fully autonomous from day one. But we understand, I think Boris, you mentioned that 
the public acceptance and the regulatory concerns that, that they're going to be in the especially in the early days uh, and so that's why we feel like a lightweight operator uh, that's just there to you know help uh, augment the operation of the vehicle uh, that's going to be necessary. When I, well, sorry, to when I hear you say lightweight operator, do you mean that the the, the person is is? I know, so it's not going to be me, so I can't be a pilot. My my dreams are dashed. No, no. What I mean by lightweight is that the actual operations, the actual controls of the vehicle, are going to be lightweight in nature. Like you can see we have a good time. It's like the jockeys we have, you know. They got. I was picturing jockeys like the advertisements of okay, you have to be uh, you know on the small side. No, no. Of course, we want to make this as as inclusive and as cost effective as possible. So you talked about families getting in and, and, and flying out to, you know, see see their extended family or, or, or you know, travel to the airport uh, or wherever they're, they're looking to go for leisure or business or what have you. We want to make this very accessible for anyone and everyone, not just the, the high net worth individuals. Got it. Okay, very good. How about we uh, take a, is there anything to show us in here that we should be looking at specifically? Or should we go around and take a look at the plane from the exterior? in-cabin experiences you got the screen on top that really gives you a sense of uh, really the the, the ambiance that we want to create here and, and really the in-cabin experience uh, and so we can check out some of that uh, we can also obviously walk around the aircraft the the, the, the ducted fans do tilt again so we, you know we can get to see that uh, and and really just it's an exciting opportunity for Bell to showcase where we're trying to go. I, I do have a question. We've got some friends that are helicopter pilots. Uh, are, is this? Uh, do you have a sense of what the controls might look like? I see it. What looks like a joystick rather than a traditional helicopter control. Is there any kind of guidance on that at all? And is there, I mean, one of the things when I looked into also there's. Is it true? I mean, there's almost not yet a defined category for that pilot to drive a manned drone, right? I mean, except the military tilt rotor that you used to have? Yeah, I would say all of the above. I mean, we're, we're still kind of developing and, and, and figuring out what does future flight controls look, look like. And that's actually the title of one of our initiatives back at Bell, is really defining, okay, well, traditionally it's been the, the cyclic and the collective for, for helicopter pilots, right? But is that still going to be the case in the future? How can we make it more accessible so that even people who have gaming backgrounds can, can operate these aircraft? Again, we want to build in a lot of the smarts into the uh, flight controls uh, autonomously, but how can we make it so that the public will accept these aircraft into their lives, and how can we make operating them as seamless as possible? That sounds like a pretty exciting future you've just described there. Shall we jump out and take a look from the ex outside and see what we can uh, learn about this, about this awesome ship? Uh, and what they do is, you know, we talk about eVTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. So they take off in, in helicopter mode that helps generate as much thrust as possible when the ducts are facing uh, vertically. And then as the aircraft lifts up and then transitions, it'll actually, actually transition into uh, what we call airplane mode. And that will generate even more speed and unlock more range. Right, so so the rotors help generate that thrust, and even the, the wings here also help generate that, that lift as well. And then we talked about noise and how important it is to be quiet. Uh, the ducted nature of the rotors actually helps to uh, limit the amount of noise that is being emitted from these aircraft. Gotcha. And I noticed that that's a foil, so right there you can see that that foil right there actually would help create lift. That's what you are just describing. Right, it has to be aerodynamics, and so we're, we're going to explore however uh, we can to design it to be as efficiently uh, as possible. Okay, and over there I'm seeing a place to stow your bags. Can we take a quick look at that real fast? Absolutely. So we wanted to showcase this, you know, we wanted to showcase just how uh, accessible this is and this is going to be for the average everyday traveler or you know someone who's going out to the the, the golf course for leisure so this this is going to be an area to store your luggage and and really travel in style travel in comfort so if Boris is hanging out in Oahu and he wants to come play golf with me he can get on uh on the belt, what's the model number again? It's a Nexus 4EX. The 4ES, 4EX. The issue is we need a little bigger compartment so we can fit the surfboards inside for our wife. All right, the surfboards don't fit. What are we gonna do about that? Okay, very cool. Well, I mean, I see a charge board here. It looks like a section where you would be charging the vehicle. 
Yes, yes. So we wanted to showcase this as well. This, since this is all electric, we wanted to showcase that uh, you know, this is kind of how the design is going to work and how the, the recharging is going to work. I asked uh, David, I'm sorry, can I see your name again? Naveed, sorry. I asked Naveed earlier if it gets specky, and he was like, well, it's not, not so much. Uh, but in my mind, I mean, do you have a sense for us in your mind of what it would take to charge something like this? Well, it's actually, I mean, it all depends on battery capacity, right? I mean, the, the interesting part is I just talked to a company, they're looking to charge now at four megawatts. Four megawatt charge capacity? Four megawatt charge capacity. So where it's a direct bus bar charging robotics. So, uh, you know, the incremental steps that we're doing in charging now is, you know, just unlimited. The only thing that's going to limit us is bringing the power to the side to charge it. And that's why what Naveed mentioned earlier, the infrastructure and how do we envision that in cities is going to play a big role, right? How do we bring that big of a pipe to a depot where we have, let's say, 10 of these where they need to be charged at a massive capacity. But it's from a technology standpoint, it's already doable and companies are working on it. And so, I mean, the uh, battery on this will probably be, I don't know, 500 kilowatts, something like that. Uh, well, EV's whole, it's, and recharging, it's kind of a two-sided coin, and I think you, you started to talk about it. There's the aircraft technology, and we're gonna, we're continuously doing that trade analysis of, all right, is it distributed electric technology? Or are the batteries gonna be kind of all around the airframe? Is it gonna be, kind of concentrated all under the, the fuselage, what's that going to be? And so we're going to continue to do that analysis and mature that technology. And we're going to watch to see how the battery technology industry is also maturing. And then the other side of the coin is, you mentioned it, city infrastructure, right? And so we need to work with uh, the cities to understand what the load is going to be on the, on the electric grids and how the impact is going to be kind of accounted for. So welcome to the Nexus City. This is our vision for how Nexus and Apt and the Bell Mobility as a Service offering is going to integrate into the city of the future. We wanted this to be so incredibly immersive and we wanted to showcase our Bell Eros digital platform because there's a digital aspect to this as well that's going to help with efficiency and operations and maintenance as well. And so that's going to help drive costs down to make sure that we're operating these at a rate that's as efficient as possible in any city. And uh, you see the, the drones and the, and the buzzing around here. These drones are actually being guided by the Eros cloud platform. This is a platform that we uh, built with the help of Microsoft on the Azure platform. Uh, and so we have a cloud master schedule that's actually guiding these drones to go from point A to point B. Uh, we've got real-time data being fed to the, the, the tablet experiences here. And then we're also doing predictive maintenance. So as a proxy for how maintenance is going to be kind of handled, uh, we've got the Cloud Master Schedule in Eros actually predicting when these drones are going to need to be recharged. And so every so often, it'll actually input a flight to the maintenance hangar, which you'll see on the observation deck, to go and have their batteries swapped out. So it's a lot of really powerful, really intelligent technology at work here. So this is really like a uh, template for what it, it, it could be in actuality. Yeah, like I was saying earlier, this is meant to spark conversation uh, about how this technology is going to integrate into, into these cities. And my favorite part, well, two favorite parts, we got ambient sounds here. You can hear some of that. It really makes it immersive. And we also have it in the fourth dimension where some of these, some of these buildings actually have these grates that are emitting scents that, that are going to be around a city. So if you're near a coffee shop, you, you might uh, smell, uh, smell like coffee. You might smell fresh cut grass if you're near a park. You might smell or the industrial smells if you're around the warehouse. So it's incredibly immersive, and you know we really hope that people are excited to check it out. So the the drones, just for our listeners at home, you're not going to be able to get this. It, they're 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 pushing down the air and they're pushing out the scent of coffee right now as we're talking. Pretty remarkable. We think Boris. No, it is. Naveen, question for you. The so at Bell, what's your philosophy? I mean, because there's concept of urban air mobility where you're really looking at a hub-based system or kind of what you show here where basically you turn almost every building or, or suitable location into a potential hub or landing zone versus you know four or five central hubs around the city which from there you then have other forms of mobility to take you where it is. Do you have a idea around it? or? So I, I, think, I think there are a couple different approaches to that. First is going to be I hate to keep reiterating it but it's important conversations with city leaders. They understand their area a lot better than we do. Right, and so we're going to look to them to tell us in an informed way what's the best model for operating this, right? And we're going to work with them because we understand uh, how aircraft should be uh, operated in a very efficient way. The second approach is also to use a digital technology. That's why we're so excited to unveil Eros here, 
uh, because there's a lot of modeling and simulation and data-based uh, analysis and uh, projections that we can do to really enable city leaders to say, all right, if I were to place a vertiport at X, Y, and Z location, maybe one is near a, a rail station, maybe one is near a bus stop, how does that impact daily traffic in my city? And it really let them toggle those parameters and use things like digital twin technology, use things like IoT technology to really unlock and enable a lot of those decisions to be made. I want a coffee too. I mean, we're going to have to go get one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it really smells like that. Well, very good. I'm inspired. Can't thank you enough. Naveed and Boris for coming out, checking this out. Is there any last minute thoughts we should have before we close this up? It's been so awesome to have you guys here. Thank you for the conversation. Uh, you know, we invite everyone who's here at CES and, and really city leaders all around the world to, uh, to really believe with us and imagine with us the city of the future with urban air mobility through Bell and through mobility as a service right at their fingertips. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously one, one of the key parts, right, urban air mobility. And, and one of the things that we have to look at is that we look at it holistically, right? Urban air mobility is one part of mobility that solves an issue. But then everything else to the urban air mobility has to be, it has to be seamless so that I can get to that location, from that location, and it involves all of the aspects of transportation. And that's the key that we need to figure out. And I think that's where we need to make the biggest strides still. Yeah. Sounds great, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Wow, two really deep points in that video, and one of them is uh, the big data conversation, right? All of the sensors and modeling and all these things that they're able to do now to help you plan out, if you are a city planner, where these things would go, where you're going to get the best benefit. Yeah, there's going to have to be a really strong, like robust dialogue between uh, city officials and these organizations that are creating this technology because you know they're going to need to almost like a classes or a school or something like that there's got to be some great interaction between them but there was this huge display of an actual cityscape i mean to the point where they had sense and you you could you know like a coffee uh, factory and you had the, the vehicles they were these bell um i guess uh versions to be able to bring packages and, and cargo back and forth, not only the, the versions for people to be able to use, but I mean, it was just a, a very thorough model. And it looked like, uh, at the end of the day, almost like a template for what they were going to create. So they're discovering all these systems that are necessary to make this kind of full ecosystem come together and work you know, safely. Also, how do you power these things? How do you create all the systems that are necessary for it to function? Yeah, that and was another was, big uh, part of the conversation, where you get the power for them. Yeah, uh, you know, and we, of course, we didn't have any specifics on the, the battery packs or on the power or the storage capability, what that might look like over the course of the next few years. But you can imagine, I mean, you're talking about these passenger vehicles, the Nexus, moving within a 60-mile range, pretty short-haul flights, charging continuously throughout the day on the helipads, and then moving back and forth, right? And then right. at night or I guess at the end of a, a period to have plenty of time to recharge fully. So they say they feel like it'll have those kinds of capabilities. It, won't, it will be able to kind of, if I can say, trickle charge throughout the day. But when we talked about what that would require, I mean, you're not talking about a, you know, a Nissan Leaf here. You're talking about something with a lot of power requirements. And, uh, you know, Boris did mention the power charging capabilities are really moving up. And there's companies out there now that can do four megawatts of charging, which is just hard to even imagine. So it gives you a sense of where this might go. And where would you get that power, though? You, maybe you have solar farms that are pumping it in from all far out into, you know, where you actually have land. It's not going to have a solar farm in the middle of the city, that's for sure. Yeah, that's always a difficult conversation for city planners anyway, is you have such a density of population, you can't possibly give them all the energy they want. Yeah, I don't know. And we, we, of course, uh, with our exploration of, of nuclear, both of us were thinking, oh, well, SMRs would work really great in this certainly, area. Certainly a possibility. Community solar options are also out there. Yeah. <laughs> so a uh, really cool experience to just, once again, both of these um, technologies, both of these interviews, the Daimler interview as well as the Bell interview, they were two very forward-looking new ways that we can interact with our uh, our overall society uh, and these huge value propositions and just trying to, I think, lay lay down the the, 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 the gauntlet and say, this is we're really trying to inspire people for the future and see if they could be a great thing out there waiting for us. You know, uh, when I speak, speak to some of our friends about 
the future, there's, you know, sometimes they, there's the ideas of a dystopian future where things are not very good, very Mad Maxy type stuff, or if there's a more science fiction-y kind of like Star Trek type future. And this certainly felt very optimistic and like technology is there to help us kind of move into this new world in a very positive way. So I was just overwhelmed and stoked about the experience. So we got time for one final conversation. What else did you want to tell me about and try to bring it closer to home? Something that we can get soon. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that one of the uh, things that we hit right away, what happens at this type of event is that media gets access to some of the highlights early in an experience called the CES Unveil. And that happens on Sunday night. And the show opens Tuesday morning. And at the Unveil, I was able to touch base with some great organizations that we knew. In fact, I spoke with Zero Mass, which is a, a zero infrastructure water generation system, mm -hmm. which is very exciting. Got a great interview with those guys. They're actually going to be out in Maui. It sounded to me like at the Hawaii Energy Conference in March. So we'll get a chance to talk more with them when they're there. I also met with a company uh, called Wallbox, and they had a, a bi-directional EV charger that's available in Europe right now. It'll be available in the U.S. later this year oh. in 2020. Yeah, bi-directional <laughs> EV charger, seven points. Folks, yeah, folks that don't know what that means is that you could actually use your vehicle battery, which you mentioned at the head of the show, is like three or four times the size of what you would buy as a normal home appliance battery. And you would be able to use it to power your home, in it, either in an emergency or just as a regular time of use offset, whatever it happens to be. But your energy would follow you around because it's in, it's in your vehicle, it's in your car. Yeah, and there's a lot of fun aspects of that for us. Like we know there's the whole wheeling conversation yeah, yeah. for us in Hawaii, which is a, a legal discussion about transitioning energy. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Nissan Leafs, it's a Chatamo EV charger. That means you could take a Nissan Leaf. That it's, I think the first gen had about 24 kilowatt hours of storage in them. A lot of these are functioning fine for the most part. And you could plug this in and it could store energy for you when you have more energy production in your solar system. Or if you need that energy during during now it's it's made to work presently during grid uh, functioning. So it's not made mm -hmm. to work in back of power at the moment. I, I assume that right out of the gate because I was so excited about the prospect of that. But uh, it, it, that is, you know, coming down the road, obviously, the ability to back up your home in a grid outage scenario with this Chatamo EV charger. And 7.4 I think four kilowatts and 35 amps of power means practically speaking, it could back up your whole house if you have a you know 24 kilowatt hour battery bank for a yeah, good chunk. Rivals most everything out there. Yeah, I mean, right now, and if you think about it, it, you know, right now you can buy a, you know, power wall, you can buy 13.5 kilowatt hours, probably the cheapest on a per kilowatt hour basis. But most people have one or two of those and that's a sizable investment for a similar amount of money, maybe even less. You could buy this EV charger and a Nissan Leaf and uh, maybe even two. You know, So that's where it got really interesting and we had a fun conversation. We'll be airing that one soon uh, as well. But obviously there's some great technology out there that is uh, just changing the way we think about energy and how, our, how, we, how we work with it in our lives. Good enough. Well, it sounds like you've had a great trip. Uh, like I said, I'll say it again, I'm jealous. Okay, folks, this has been the Solar Coaster. We appreciate you tuning in today to our special CES 2020 Vegas show. We are sponsored by Fairwinds Wealth Management, Sundrum Solar, and Enduro Shield. Check them out. Great companies. Have a wonderful weekend and Aloha Friday. Take it easy.